Hello, this is Daryl Castle with today's Castle Report. This is Friday, the third day of November in the year of our Lord, 2023. I will be talking today about the war between Israel and Hamas, trying to make sense of it as I'm able at this time. What is the war about right now? What does it have the terrifying potential to escalate into soon? I can't use a title with the word like Armageddon in it without taking a, talking a little about what the word means. It's a word coming from the Christian Holy Bible in the book of Revelation, chapter 16, verse 16. Quote, then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon, end quote. The battle of Armageddon is basically predicted to be the final battle between good and evil or God's forces against the kings of the earth. Do I think this war is the actual battle of Armageddon? No, I don't. What I am trying to say is that unless cooler heads prevail, it could morph into something at least resembling it. The war has been ongoing since October 7th, so it's been only about two months. The thing that strikes me about it, other than the killing and the dying, which is what war really is, has been the propaganda. Real events are used to inflame the populations of both sides as well as the populations of interested countries, Israel, is portrayed as the persecutor of the Palestinian people, having kept them imprisoned in an open-air concentration camp. For 15 years, Hamas is portrayed as bloodthirsty savages. How much of the propaganda is true? How much is fiction? Anyone's guess right now. We live in the West, and we sometimes think we know, but often our assurances are just guesswork based on our own innate prejudice. As usual, in the best propaganda, there's at least a little truth on both sides. The attacks out of Gaza into Israel were savage, and they were barbaric with no military objective. I mean that the objective was terror. By killing, raping, and torturing, it is hard to understand sympathy with the nature of it. Other than the rockets and the missiles used, the attack itself was very low-tech, designed to defeat the high-tech Israeli security system by simple means, communication between Hamas leadership and soldiers in the field was always written, messages hand-delivered, never by email or text. They used paragliders that can be found in most beach resorts. Bulldozers were used to breach the walls and fences. Then soldiers on motorcycles and pickup trucks poured through the breaches. The simple nature of the plan made it much harder for the Israelis to uncover thus explaining at least in part how it could have escaped Israeli defenses. The leadership of Hamas, who live luxurious lives in Qatar, by the way, while their people suffer in Gaza, but nevertheless they must have known that the brutal savagery of the attack would inflame the Israelis and incite a desire for revenge. The stories of rape and murder, complete with photos of burned babies. At first, I thought these were exaggerated for propaganda purposes, but apparently they are accurate. Most recently, the story of a young woman named Shani Luke hit the international press. She was a beautiful 24-year-old woman attending a music festival until she was captured. Pictures emerged of her being paraded naked through the streets of Gaza. Just this week, her body was found with her head in a different place. Okay, Okay, if one wants to refer to people who do that as barbaric savages, perhaps there is truth there. It is the same type of mentality we've seen before. Hitler's forces, the Jews he portrayed as subhuman. Acts of barbarism are justified because your enemy is subhuman. 
Does the average man, woman, or child on the streets of Gaza City see all Jews as subhuman? It really doesn't matter anymore because that is the story they are presented by their leadership who apparently do it on purpose to make the struggle worse. Listen to the words of Hamas leader Ismail Heniyah from his luxurious home in Qatar. We need the blood of women, quote, we need the blood of women, children, and the elderly of Gaza so as to awaken our revolutionary spirit, end quote. So they wanted the Israeli army in Gaza, killing women and children to inflame the population and create more meat for the grinder. People in the Western tradition fight and sacrifice themselves for their women and their children. That is what a warrior, a masculine warrior especially, does. That is why those in the West do not understand a culture, a religion, which teaches sacrificing the very people for whom one is supposed to fight. I suppose that is because it's not about or for the people at all, but instead following the presumed dictates of a religion which teaches violent conversion. One would think that Islam would be questioned because of all this, but so far it's not happened. In fact, the opposite has happened. Well, the fighters of Hamas, which their leadership admit exists to kill Jews, are now getting the chance to fight warriors instead of women, children, and old people. So maybe their brave leadership will come home from Qatar and join them, but I wouldn't hold my breath, folks. Rather than creating sympathy for Israel, there has been an outpouring of anti-Jewish activity around the world in a Russian provincial capital. A mob invaded the airport to attack Jewish passengers returning home from the war zone. The Russian police and military stopped the massacre from happening, but it was just one example of many. Unfortunately, murderous violence has occurred right here in America, primarily led by students at our finest, most prestigious universities. One might think that attending Harvard, Cornell, or Stanford would indicate a degree of intelligence, but apparently it only indicates a lifetime of relentless propaganda and mind control to which young people are now subjected. Cornell University in Ithaca, New York, the Brooklyn Bridge in New York City, Cooper's Union also in New York City, many other places. The demonstrations have turned violent to a degree. Here in my city of Memphis, Tennessee, there were demonstrations of support for both groups. Last weekend they were loud, but there were no reports of violence, although there's always an undercurrent of violence in each protest. The people who protest are angry. They feel aggrieved, although they are half a world away from the war. That is the dilemma of the superpower, i.e. coming in on one side or the other, thus making enemies of the other side, often making the conflict a lot worse. Considering all this worldwide anti-Jewish rhetoric led most prominently by the propaganda machines, of the Iranian client terrorist organizations called Hezbollah and Hamas. These organizations are all about ter terror. They openly state that the destruction of Israel and all Jews worldwide is their goal. Hezbollah is so large, it has now taken on the role of government in Lebanon, which has become an extension of Iran. Omar Bashir, former leader of Sudan, chimed in on things. To sum it all up, quote, there is one battle in Darfur, Iraq, in Gaza, in Somalia, in Afghanistan, against the Jews, we're fighting one enemy, end quote. Is he then saying the enemy is not Israel, but Jews? It sure sounds like it to me, so I understand Jewish nervousness about all this around the world. Considering this rhetoric, we must steel our minds against propaganda. I've seen polls showing that most college students poll believe 
The slaughter of 1,400 men, elderly men at that, women, children in Israel were justified. They expressed no sympathy or remorse for Shani, Luke, or her survivors. Often these kids demonstrate remarkable ignorance about the struggle and the history of Israel and Palestine. All this barbaric violence, murder makes sense, I suppose, when only Jews are the enemy. Considering what I have said, should we as Christians, if you are Christian, stand in the defense of our Jewish brothers and sisters? Throughout history, the persecution has started with the Jews, but it did not end there. Christians and others are inevitably targeted as well. Western civilization is the final target, of course, the final target of these revolutionary forces. I see nothing to replace it but tyranny and violence. In due course, Western civilization will be forced to stand and fight as it has done many times throughout history, or else it will bend its knee. Time will tell whether those of the West still have the courage to fight or whether surrender is the best option for them. What about all this Armageddon stuff I mentioned earlier? Well, if all the players in this conflict do what they have said they will do, we are headed for a big war that will most likely not remain regional. The Israelis have said that every member of Hamas is a dead man. I take that to mean they intend to roll up the entire Gaza Strip, even if it takes house-to-house fighting and sorting through the rubble. In response, the Hamas leadership from their safe harbor in Qatar pledged to sacrifice their women and children to, quote, inflame revolutionary spirit, in quote, Hezbollah, sitting up in Lebanon on an estimated 150,000 missiles, courtesy of their masters in Iran, say they will launch those missiles if Israelis attack Gaza. The Iranians, who are suppliers of virtually every terrorist group in the area and who are the instigators of virtually every Middle Eastern atrocity, say they will not sit idly by while their client terrorists are destroyed. Israelis say they will reduce Lebanon to the Stone Age and will destroy Damascus, Syria, if necessary. Mr. Erdogan, up in Turkey, usually one of the fire breathers, but this time he has offered to mediate the dispute to keep it from escalating. He did say, however, that Turkey would not hesitate to send troops into Gaza if they deem it necessary. The Russians just sit there apparently waiting, but Mr. Putin did have representatives of Hamas and Iran to Moscow for a conference. I sure wish I could have been a fly on that wall, folks, but I don't speak Russian or Farsi. The Iranians also went to Qatar to meet with Hezbollah and the leaders of Hamas. The players on the side opposite Israel are all there, so we will have to see if they think the atrocity suffered by the Israelis has produced the reaction they wanted when they supplied, trained, and orchestrated it. Unfortunately, the United States has not exactly been the voice of reason in all this. When you have a superpower whose leadership is inflammatory and boisterous instead of using quiet diplomacy, it might make one of the players more aggressive than otherwise. The problem in all this is that the United States, my country, has no leadership in the struggle, no leadership at all. For example, Republican Lindsey Graham has emerged as one of the least helpful members of the U.S. Senate. He told the Iranians that if Hezbollah launches its missiles, the U.S. will attack and destroy Iran's oil-producing, refining, and shipping capacity. Quote, if you launch missiles, we're coming for you, end quote. He went on to say, <coughs> excuse me, he went on to say that the oil revenue that Iran has 
They have it despite U.S. sanctions, by the way, would be cut off and destroyed. That really would, of course, close the Persian Gulf and the Strait of Hormuz, thus cutting off much of the world's supply of oil, crushing the economies of many countries in the West. Let me flesh this out for you, folks, for just a minute. While the U.S. has been building $13 billion aircraft carriers, the Iranians have been spending every dollar available on their missile and rocket program to counter them. So, an aircraft carrier with 5,000 sailors on board and 80 airplanes costing $13 billion can be sent to the bottom of the ocean by a relatively cheap missile, which can be fired at it by the thousands. In an all-out war which remained conventional, the combined efforts of Iran, its terrorist armies, Turkey, perhaps Russia, could quickly overcome the Israeli defense forces. I predict the Israelis would not accept destruction gracefully and would therefore resort to nuclear weapons, the ultimate result of which could be Armageddon or the fast lane to it. The problem here is that the United States has no leadership, as I said, no leadership to calm down the adversaries, only threats of violence. For many years, the borders of the U.S. have been open and inviting for terrorists and others who hate us and perhaps who are agents of hostile powers. The president is senile. The whole world knows it. The vice president, Kamala Harris, the secretary of state, Anthony Blinken, the secretary of defense, Lloyd Austin, all apparently are intellectual lightweights. If the U.S. hadn't tried and finally succeeded in provoking war in Ukraine, then made it clear that Russia was the real target of that war. Russia could be approached for help. Tell Russia, if you will tell the Iranians to chill out, we will do the same for the Israelis, and perhaps no one's red line will be crossed. The world can be saved once again. Finally, folks, is this Armageddon? Maybe, maybe so, but I pray it's not. This whole thing can be pulled back from the brink, but if Hezbollah or Iran launches a few thousand missiles, well, it's game on. Armageddon is then a real possibility. At least that's the way I see it. Till next time, folks, this is Daryl Castle. Thanks for listening.